All right, well, I'll go ahead and get started. And if people are coming down from um, dropping their kids off, or they won't miss much. Um, I'll get kind of comfortable up here, obviously, with the mess that's happening. And uh, that's dangerous because I start to get, uh, start to wing things when I get comfortable. I'm kind of winging it this morning, but I have some things that I thought through that have been uh, things that irked me or things that rubbed me wrong about uh, the church for a long time, but I couldn't really figure out why. And so it's been an interesting thing to, uh, to think through. So I'm kind of excited about it. So I was assigned or I chose to do Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, Herb said I chose the easiest thing out of them, but really it was just the last one in the list, so it gave me the most time <laughs> to procrastinate. Um, but it is, uh, it is a part of the uh, sermon that is Hebrews that um, talks about the heroes of the Old Testament um, to try to encourage uh, the people that uh, the author is writing to. Um, my big picture today, basically what I want you to walk away remembering that I said or that I, that I talked about is that faith in, a, in and of itself is not an end, it's a means. Um, when we reduce faith down to what we believe in and we stop there, and we sit in, what, in, in the certainty of what we believe in, we miss the whole point of faith, and that is that it gets us, it takes us to the future that we hope for. So if you, if you reduce faith down to what you believe in, it's like um, being so certain that there is a treasure out there that is the greatest thing in the world, and everything else pales in comparison to it, and you've been the, shown the road to get to it, and you are sure of that road, and you are sure of that treasure, and you sit in the knowledge of that, but you never get on the road. When we reduce faith down to what we believe, it's like seeing the road and seeing the treasure, but never walking towards it. All right, a brief background on Hebrews. <clears throat> you guys have been, everybody's been teaching on it, so you guys probably know, but I just thought I'd touch on this in case somebody wasn't here, or just a refresher. Um, so Haley talked about who wrote it, and, and we don't know exactly who wrote it. Um, originally it was thought to be Paul, but then some of his groupies might have written it, or some of his groupies' wives might have written it. So, uh, but it's written really eloquently, written in Greek. Some people think that Paul wrote it in Hebrew, and then somebody translated it in Greek, and that's why it doesn't look exactly like Paul. Anyway, it's written to the Jewish Christians in Palestine. It says especially those in Jerusalem. So it is written to Christians. Some of the books, like Romans, is written to, uh, to um, not thinking of the word, Romans. So they weren't Jewish. They were Gentiles. Gentiles. Romans were written to, written to the Gentiles. This is written to Jewish Christians. So it has tons of stuff about the Old Testament and trying to convince them and encourage them through Old Testament scripture. Uh, it's written before the destruction of the temple because it talks tons about the temple and the sacrificial system in the present. So they believe it was written before that. And they, some people think the purpose was simply to continue to encourage um, the Jewish Christians to hold on to their hope in Jesus and not to backslide because of persecution that they obviously had and basically just sort of, uh, they expected Jews to come back 
and they expected him to come back in their lifetime and they expected him to set up his kingdom there in Jerusalem. Right? They, this was their expectation and it wasn't happening and they were starting to starting to question and starting to, some of them falling back into Ju- total Jewish tradition and belief. So it's to encourage them to hold on and to persevere and uh, that has the, all, the, all the little things there. They encourage the beleaguered Christians to hold on. That's a verse um, from Hebrews chapter 11, to persevere unswervingly to the hope you profess. Another, another um, Bible uh, commentary that I use a lot, Haley's Bible handbook, super simple, um, and clear, they, they consider maybe one of the reasons was to prepare the Jewish Christians for the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem because they were still holding on to their sacrificial rights so strongly um, and uh, that sacrificial system was, was about to be destroyed. So, possibly. All right. We'll start off with reading the scripture. This is Hebrews chapter 11. Um, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see this is what the ancients were committed for by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible by faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain, Cain did by faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was unable to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I put up the NIV translation because, for the most part, that's what I have laying around the house. Um, But when I started um, studying this scripture, 
uh, I started with the first line. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And uh, when I dug into it a little bit, I found that uh, this first line can be interpreted, the Greek can be translated in many different ways. There's lots of different translations for the Greek. And it can change, it can change the way this can be interpreted quite a bit. Some, sometimes translations are just little nuances, but this can really change the way that you read it. So we've read the NIV. The New Living Translation says faith is the confidence of what we hope for, that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us the assurance about the things we can't see. The Eastern Standard Version says faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of not things not seen. The New King James Version says now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of not things not seen. Darby's translation, which I had never heard of, um, says now faith is the substantiating of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The Greek words that are being uh, translated all different ways are hypostasis and elejos. And I listened to a sermon that described this, and I listened to it probably 10 times, and I still only have, uh, I think I still only grasped some of it. So rather than trying to uh, explain this, I'm just gonna play you a sound bite. If we do uh, post the recording of this, we'll have to edit this out. So we don't have copyright. All right. Uh, Issues. It's worth it. Here's what it says. Now, faith, this is Darby's translation, which is the best translation of this passage. Some of the translations are... Uh, and I like his sermons. There's a lady in the front during that whole thing that says, come on. <laughs> Every time he says, she says, come on. <laughs> so I want you guys to do that for me. Um, <laughs> oh, I listened to that over and over again because it's, this is where my... Uh, this thing that itches at me that I can't figure out what it is that I don't think is right about um, modern Christian culture, uh, but I can't really put my finger on it. Um, I am, or I uh, homeschool in Columbus, Indiana. You guys know that, and there is a large homeschool group, and they are. It is filled with wonderful women who I really like, who are my friends, and who I have great respect for. Um, but they require that you sign a statement of faith to be part of the group. And uh, the statement of faith is very specific. And I don't, can't sign it. <laughs> and so I'm not part of this group. That And I, so I have very little connections between other homeschool moms in, in the community. And it's so silly. And it's like, just, just sign it. It's like, it doesn't matter. What matters is the kids and community. And don't worry about it. And this is this part of me that just can't sign it. Because I, and it's really, it's silly. And what's silly is that our statement of faith has been boiled down to these specifics about what we believe about scripture. 
because I really don't believe that that is what the word faith means. The way that this is interpreted, if you say faith is the confidence of what we hope for, uh, the proof of things not seen, depending on which words you use in there, it can it encourages this like certainty-seeking model of faith, being certain of what you believe in. That faith, that the strength of your faith, and we've talked about this before, that the strength of your faith is somehow attached to how certain you are about what you believe specifically. That's the strength of your faith. I don't believe that. I think that is bull. Excrement. (laughs) (laughs) Because that is not what the writer of Hebrews was even talking about. That's just another Greg Boyd comment. The writer of Hebrews was talking to to the Jewish Christians because they were losing sight of what they hoped for in Jesus. And they were backsliding into uh, traditional Jewish faith rather than their hope in Jesus into the Christian faith. And the writer of Hebrews brings up all these heroes of faith in the Old Testament that lived in a way, they lived in the path to the future that they were promised, but most of them didn't even receive the promise. So in the Old Testament, it says, uh, or not in the Old Testament, but in the writers, the writer of Hebrews was talking about um, these heroes of faith. So I picked out the, the verses that talked about what it was that they were hoping for. Um, verse 10 says, for he was looking for a city without foundations whose architect and builder is God. That was talking about Abraham and how he left. You know, Abraham was a, well, he was like a, a really affluent guy. He lived in uh, along one, the Tigris or the Euphrates, I can't remember, and he was a trader. He was well off. God called him. He took all his family and his animals, and he moved out into the desert and lived in tents because he believed God's promise. He believed God's direction, and he was looking for a city without foundations. What Abraham did is incredible. He was a hero of faith, but he never received that in his lifetime. It says he, uh, they only saw them, that's these promises, and welcomed them from a distance, and they kept the faith. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. I found this uh, down below here. I, I was, uh, I don't know, I, I was looking at this commentary, this Matthew Henry, the Matthew Henry commentary, the whole Bible. <laughs> Man, I don't know how long he has spent writing because just the commentary on Hebrews, I didn't even finish. On Hebrews chapter 11, I didn't finish. But uh, he had, I pulled this little excerpt out. It says, faith has a long arm that can lay hold of blessings at a great, great distance, can make them present, can love them, and thus antedate the enjoyment of them. That's what um, Greg was trying to use that example of uh, finishing his book. And even though he hasn't finished his book, but he believes he can finish his book, um, he's, already in, he's already there in the enjoyment of, of finishing his book, even though he hadn't done it, right? And these guys, these heroes of faith, were living in the path towards this future promise, and they were enjoying the the reality of this promise being true, even though it was never true in their lifetime. So I'm going to go back to, uh, does anybody have any questions? 
about where I'm going. I feel like maybe I haven't quite, so I'm trying to draw the distinction between certainty seeking faith and faith that's based on, let me go to Darby's, a substance of things hoped for. So that what you hope for is like, that is what you, that is the solid thing you stand on. The conviction of thing, things not seen. You are so certain of the reality of this thing that you hope for that you are convicted. It's the evidence that convicts you to believe in the things you can't see. So, so just one thing I see like in the workplace. I see faith played out as faith has to be a conviction that you're right. That, that, that's like all I can get up on my mind. And I think that hits a little bit at where you're going, but that's what bugs you about. Yeah. Yeah. It's religious buttheadism. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, with me saying faith is, is a conviction that you're right, if I were to say that to you, how would you respond back? What would you say back to? It would help me if you if I could hear that again because okay. I'm still I'm a gotcha. little foggy. Yeah, no, it's 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 foggy, but but I believe there's truth in it. So you're saying what what bugs me is people say that faith is just a conviction that that I'm right that what I believe in the Bible is right. Okay. Right. Yeah, I think it's right. I think that's my perception. Yeah. And I'd say faith. And belief are not exactly the same thing. You have to believe in God to come to faith. But faith is, is action. Faith is the means at which you continue towards our hope. Faith is what makes you commit to a community of believers, even though on Sunday morning you'd like to stay in your jammies and, uh, you know, let the kids watch TV and till they're zombies and, and just chill. Faith is what makes you, your heart uh, open up to people who, who need help instead of being selfish. Faith in God is faith so convinced, belief so convinced on the promise of Jesus and what he said good life is that it changes the way you behave. There's certain place in faith for discussing what God meant in Scripture, right? But being right doesn't isn't producing the fruits Jesus talked about in the Spirit. Did I answer your question, kind of? <laughs> well, because for me, I'm almost backwards to that because for me I've realized that faith for me which I think might be in line here with what you're saying faith for me is more like um, uh, a belief that even though I don't get it as long as I walk toward God he's going to help me do it well even though I can't figure it out absolutely right I agree with that yeah, you're, you're basically saying that if if you're sure that the way you believe is the right way to believe, right, 
it's kind of what you're getting at. You're certain that the way you see things is exactly how it is. Mm -hmm. And the problem with that is that actually becomes your, your God. That's your idol. Your idol is what you what you believe and not. That, that's yeah. why I have, no, that's why what? I have a problem with, with denominations because they will teach you that that is how you know God is through this denomination. And we're right about how how you see God. And so you actually put your faith in that denominational teaching as opposed to. Yeah. Yeah, what you believe is real is what you put your faith in. Okay? So if you're convinced by denomination that their teaching is what is real. Yeah, sure. Um, I was, when I first started this, trying to think about what I put my faith in, personally. And I think it's a really hard thing to do. Because I know that my actions don't always lead me in the path of the hope that Jesus has for us, right? I know that I don't always do that, but I know that I also really do believe and I really do love Jesus. And so thinking about faith along the lines is what, what you hope for, the substance of what you hope for, that's your faith. Then I was able to kind of think about my faith in the terms of what it is that I hope for. And so I wrote this down. I, I didn't spend a lot of time on this because I was trying to just be authentic um, rather than um, doing this well. So when I fix my eyes on Jesus, when I am just in line with God, when I am betting it all on God, my hope is in Christ, his authority, his sacrifice, our salvation, his promise and the restoration of the kingdom here on earth. And really I rejoice in it. I proclaim his love, I confess my sin, I lend my strength to the future that I hope for. And the things of this world pale in comparison to the hope that I have. And my hope is so much bigger than myself. I walk in those spaces, right? That's a place that I am sometimes, but often I fix my eyes on the world and my hope is in the world. My hope is in a dream or a future that's comfortable and it's stable and it's peaceful. It's this earthly future. And I lend my strength to that. I plan like crazy. My house is full of sketches of my yard around the new house. I work a Pinterest. You see my Pinterest boards. I got dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I save, dream, fantasize, I cling to the things of the world, and I resist the spirit. And what I mean by that is like, there's that inkling, or there's that, there's that thing that the spirit does when, when you know that you're not, you don't have your eyes fixed on Jesus. You got your eyes fixed on that top of the end stove that you want in your kitchen. And all the reasons you can justify why that is actually... Uh, a good purchase to your husband. <laughs> and then the spirit is back there saying, oh, what are you doing, Jess? This has nothing to do with God. This has nothing to do with the future that I, that I have planned for you. And I resist that because I don't, because I want the stove, right? My hope is selfish and it's small when I fix my eyes on the world. 
Let me see how I'm doing. I thought that I was going to be quick, but look at me. I'm going to have to speed it up here. Um, I have a good friend that I have been friends with with a long time. Um, we met in college, and she's actually how I met Ben. Um, but she's not a Christian. She is a strong character and a wonderful person, but she's not a Christian. And um, several years ago, she was having a real hard time. Um, and we were at 4th Street, and we are having really hard conversations. And I can remember it was the first time that I really pushed her on faith. Because for the most part, I knew that she was just like, don't talk about that crap to me. Um, and was just talking about where she went, where she would go from here. And I told her, I was like, you know that I believe that Jesus is the answer to this for you. Because I'm a Christian and I believe that God is life, that Jesus is life. And if I don't tell you about this, I hate you. I don't even love you because this is the truth. And she was like, and she, and she said, I respect that. But I just don't get it. She said, Jess, why are you a Christian? Why? And then she said, and don't say faith. I hate that answer. Because faith is this like empty answer to people who don't believe. Right? And in that moment, I failed to defend my faith because I wasn't ready. And scripture says that we should be ready. We should know what our faith is, why we have faith, and that we should be ready. So that when our good friend finally asks why we believe, we can represent the kingdom and our faith with gentleness and respect. I love that. Peter adds that to the end. Not with religious butthead and rightness. <laughs> but with gentleness and respect. So this is hard for me. But I decided to try to write down my faith. Actually, Greg Boyd, in one of the sermons I was listening to, he was like, I want everybody to go home and I want you to prepare a five-minute explanation of why you are a Christian, why you have faith. And then I want you to find a non-believer and I want you to ask them if they will listen to you, pay them if you must, <laughs> and then ask them to poke holes in it. Um, I thought that maybe I would write this and memorize it, and that didn't happen. And then I thought maybe I would write this and then just like kind of remember what I said and say it to you, and I attempted to like time myself and say things out loud, and it was a mess. So, <laughs> get ready. It was supposed to be five minutes. I'm not actually going to make you look at that because there are so many misspellings. <laughs> which, which lets you know that I, I wrote it for sure. Okay. So bear with me, guys. I'm not going to pay you. Um, but <laughs> you are. I invite you to poke holes in this. But this is the authentic, I think, as authentic as I get, as why I believe. I believe in one God. I believe in God because I believe that it's the only logical explanation for creation and for the body, soul, and spirit that I am. I used to say that I believe because it makes more sense to me than not believing, but I've continued to think about these things, and now I say with confidence that I believe because it makes sense. I do not believe that belief in God goes against reason, reason, and I don't agree with the notion that faith is blind. 
I heard a sermon by Rob Bell. I almost didn't even say that because some of you are tuning me out now. I heard a sermon by Rob Bell several years ago that put, that put to words what I couldn't. He talked about things, in general, are the sum of their parts. It's not so with us. You could divide me down to every atom that makes up my body, but you would never find the part of me that is me. Because I am more than the sum of my parts. I am body, soul, and spirit made in the image of God. I believe. My soul hums with reverence and longing for something greater. We are consistently unfulfilled and unsatisfied with worldly life, right? We were designed to meet God and to, and to find our fulfillment in our relationship with him. I once talked about how we're all walking around with this God-shaped hole in our hearts. And we're trying to fill this hole with the things of this world, but they don't fit and they don't fulfill our need because what we need is God. That hole in my heart is one of the reasons I believe. It makes sense to me. I believe the Bible is the word of God. He created us, he desires relationship with us, and he's revealed himself to us through the scriptures so that we may know him and know the truth of his love and the righteousness of the law. It makes sense to me. I'm not saying that I have a handle on all the scriptures and I know what God wanted us to get out of them, but it makes sense to me that he inspired the writings of the Bible. He knows us and he wants us to know him. Scripture says that Jesus was the fullness of God. And Jesus' teachings ring unfallibly true to my mind, my soul. They set my spirit ablaze inside me when I read them. Jesus' teachings are so good. They are so perfect. They are so irrefutable. God loves us so much that he paid the price for our sin that so, so that we are saved into life, into Christ. There's no more separation between us and God. We are invited in. Jesus has gone ahead to prepare a place for us, and God has revealed to us that he will restore the kingdom of God here on earth. This is the hope that we have in Christ. We know in our souls that things are not as they should be. There is brokenness about this world. There is a brokenness about this world that is undeniable. We see the hate and the greed and the violence and the injustice, and we know it's not right. We know that things are not as they should be. God has promised us that he will restore creation, and through Jesus, he has begun. And in Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we participate in that restoration here and now. We also look for the future promised, but not yet fulfilled, when there will be no pain, no tears, no death, and God will dwell among us. This is my understanding. This hope is the substance of my faith and the reason I follow Christ to the future he has promised. I recognize that I miss the mark far too often and I set my eyes on the things of this world and my hope in things, in things that can never satisfy. I lend my strength to the brokenness, but God is always there, inviting me back, always forgiving, like the loving father he welcomes his prodigal daughter home. He loves us with an unsurpassable love. God is good, and I believe.
Ruben insisted that I tell you guys this story. There's this tightrope tight rope walker that was amazing. Uh, his name was Charles Blondin. Um, and he tightrope walked across Niagara Falls back and forth uh, tons of times. No, nothing, no safety measures. Free tightrope to walk across Niagara Falls. He, uh, let's see, it says the stunning feet this stunning feat made Charles Blondin famous in the summer of 1859. He walked 160 feet above the falls several times back and forth between Canada and the United States as huge crowds on both sides looked on with shock and awe. Once he crossed in a sack, once on stilts, another time on a bicycle, and once he even carried a stove and cooked an omelet, like right there in the middle. On July 15th, on July 15th, 1859, Blondin walked backwards across the tightrope to Canada and returned, pushing a wheelbarrow. Some people say he had a sack of potatoes in there. This one doesn't say that. <laughs> the Blondin story is told that it was after pushing a wheelbarrow across while blindfolded that Blondin asked for some audience participation. And the crowds, the crowds had watched and they'd oohed and they'd awed. He had proven that he could do it. Of that, there was no doubt. But now he was asking for a volunteer to get into the wheelbarrow and take a ride across the falls with him. It is said that he, ha he asked his audience, do you believe I can carry a person across in this wheelbarrow? And of course the crowd shouted, yes, they believed. And it was then that Blondin posed the question, who will get in the wheelbarrow? And of course no one did. Faith is about getting in the wheelbarrow. In the next chapter of Hebrews, the author is, is starting to wrap up and continuing to encourage uh, the ancient, uh, or the, uh, the Jewish Hebrews, the Jewish Christians, uh, to just hold on. And she says, fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. So I encourage you all to think about what it is that you hope for. Is Jesus your hope? Is his promises your hope? Is salvation and reconciliation to God and the future reconciliation of the earth, is that, what, is that where your hope is in? And if that is where your hope is, then get in the wheelbarrow or get on the road and commit your life to walking towards that hope and being part of the restoration and following the way Jesus taught us. Faith isn't about knowing the right answers. It's about walking towards the right, walking towards the hope. That's what I believe. I'm going to get off of the Bluetooth. No, is it Bluetooth? Is that, is that the right word? so that someone else can play music for us and we're going to have communion. Through God's incredible love for us and his desire to be in relationship with us and to take away that separation that sin had for us, he came to earth, he dwelled among us, he humbled himself, 
And then he died for us. Before he left, uh, he had communion with his disciples, and he told us to do it in remembrance of him, and that's why we do it. So I invite you into communion to the bread of his body, the juice of his blood, and remember the sacrifice, and remember the hope we have in it.